Hi, this is Shauna. Before we get to today's guest, I want to take a minute to learn more about you, the listener. We've put together a short survey at fueltalent.com slash podcast to gather information on who's listening and to give you a chance to make suggestions and comments about the show. I want What Fuels You to be a great resource for you and your interests, and I hope these interviews give you practical advice along with inspiration for your career and life. Help us continue to serve you better by going to fueltalent.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. Now let's start today's show. Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Ryan Frazier. Ryan is the co-founder and CEO of Arrived. Arrived makes it easy for anyone to invest in shares of single-family rental homes and earn passive rental income plus property appreciation right away. The company is backed by Jeff Bezos, Mark Benioff, Spencer Raskoff, who you may remember from Zillow as the CEO, and Core Innovation Capital. Previously, Ryan was the co-founder and CEO of DataRink, an alumni of Y Combinator and GM at Sprout Social. Welcome, Ryan. Good to see you. Hi, Shauna. Thanks for having me. Of course. I've been really excited for this interview because, as you know, I've been following Arrived very closely and um, I've heard incredible things about you. It's crazy that this is the first time we're meeting, but I'm thrilled to have you on as a guest. So we're going to hit you with some rapid fire. Are you ready? All right. Let's jump in. Okay. Um, Okay. I'm just super curious, actually, what's the best performing city for Arrived? That is a great question, um, and it's a bit more complex, unfortunately. I can't just say it's, so it's not know, rapid. <laughs> city A or City B, it's not rapid, um, but I think each market has different dynamics. They're either having a mix of rental income or appreciation, and so Seattle, for example, is much more appreciation-focused, whereas some of the homes in the Southeast, like Northwest Arkansas, uh, close to my heart, is a bit more yield focused. And so it's hard to say because of that, what would be the best? Well, maybe then it's like, which city have the homes sold the the fastest? Or that doesn't even help either because maybe early on you weren't getting traction yet and now you've got more customers. Um, We can get into it when I talk to you about Arrived, but I am super curious about the details because I never know where to, I'm putting money into some homes and I'm like, well, which one should I pick? I'm kind of picking it like this home looks cute, but I have no sense unless I spend time researching the market. I'm like, I know that you guys are already doing that. So yeah, I think we've been surprised sometimes. So when we first launched Denver and had our first Denver properties and we launched a batch of 20 houses, those Denver properties were the first to go because people were excited to invest in that market. But then we added Huntsville, Alabama as a new market and it had kind of the same uh, path. And so, you know, it's really interesting that sometimes people have different ideas in terms of where they want to invest or why they're wanting to invest that drive that. Right. Um, And yeah, the market has been, even outside of arrived on buying homes has been a bit similar. I mean, we're seeing a lot of competition in, uh, in terms of people looking to buy or invest in homes. So yeah, it's interesting. That's a crazy time in the world right now. Um, okay. So if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Yeah. Um, let's see. I think that there's the ability to maybe pause time would be fun. There's a movie, I think it's called about time where Mm. the, the kind of, uh, dad in the movie can kind of pause time and then oh wait i think i saw this it's like a tearjerker right it's definitely a tearjerker which i I saw this i cried my i actually saw another (laughs) entrepreneur post it and talk about like vulnerability around crying and like as a man and he was like i haven't Mm. cried that hard in years and then of course i watched it because i'm a glutton for punishment i loved that movie that's a great one that's yeah, that's really funny. And, and yeah, no, no uh, shame on my end for crying to tearjerker <laughs> movies. It's a, it's a favorite pastime. Um, 
and yeah, I think that that definitely resonated with me of that would be pretty powerful sometimes just for pausing and taking a power nap, but in general, uh, the ability to fall asleep in a few minutes is definitely a, a superpower as well. Yes. My co-founder, Kenny, um, and we've worked together for a long time and our first company, this is 10 or 11 years ago, we lived together while we were starting a company and he could fall asleep in like 60 seconds, anywhere, anytime. That's so good. And then he comes up refreshed, right? Like soon oh, yeah. after 10 yeah. minutes, five, 15 minutes. Yeah. Fully yeah. refreshed. That is That's not so funny. Uh, well, this is actually a perfect segue because my next question is what would you go to bed late or wake up early to do? Hmm. Go to bed late. Um, let's see. That's probably more the like Netflix and you get to a point where, uh, I definitely get caught up in, um, some of the shows and like, uh, I'm just yeah. going to watch five minutes of the next one. And then you're the like next binging episode. four episodes. Yeah. What are you watching right exactly. now? Uh, let's see. I just finished my, my mom actually got me watching Yellowstone. Mm. Um, and so we were, we were watching that together. She lives in Arkansas and I'm in Seattle. And, um, so it's fun to kind of have shows that we I watch together that. and catch up on it. Um, and she that. was ahead of me. So we went through four episodes or four seasons pretty quick. And that's amazing. And what, what about waking up early? What would you wake up early to do? Yeah. Waking up early, um, in the summer when the sun is out, it's nice to kind of get a quick run before the day. But this, this time of year, it's, it's fun to have quiet time, like working when no one else yeah. is, no one else is up and maybe easy to hit snooze in Seattle in the winter for sure. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay. This one might be hard for, for a rapid fire, but what is, is there a favorite quote or something you reference when you're thinking like words to live by? Yeah. So there's actually a song quote that. I've really liked, and it's, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you might find you, you get, get what, what you need. You need. No, I, won't, exactly. I, won't, I won't hurt you with my voice, but I love that. Okay, wait, now I have to digest it for a second. I never really thought about that one as being like a super meaningful because the song is just so damn good that I'm just, you end up like just screaming the words. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. I just listened to um, Eddie Vedder on a podcast yesterday. And we were talking about how incredible it is to be able to be a lyricist and like a poet mm. um, and how much that you don't realize when you are like a rock star, people are using your words to kind of fuel them throughout the day and, and reference them when they're sad or happy and how powerful that is. Um, I love that it's a song. Okay. Are you more likely to want to take a vacation uh, near the ocean or near the mountains? I'd say the ocean, but that's also driven by the winter in Seattle. Too. Exactly. You're like, I just <laughs> I'm need craving sun. sun. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. Final question. What did you want to be when you were a little kid? I went through multiple phases. Uh, I wanted to do like create cartoons first. Oh. So I got into sketching cartoons and there was a uh, one called Ah Real Monsters growing up that I just would constantly create, yeah, draw monsters. That's a uh, skill right there. I literally can't even draw a stick figure. That's one of the monsters from the show oh. is a, is a, a stick, stick. figure. Yeah, it, well, it, uh, it, it kind of takes household objects and turns them into creatures, which is fun. Yeah, a um, little scary, but cool. Yeah. I like that. So you grew up, um, for some reason, I feel like I, I keep hearing, um, and I always hear things in, in podcasts because you have headphones on, but I almost feel like I hear like a Canadian accent, but I know you're from Arkansas. Mm, interesting. Do people say that to you ever? I've never gotten a Canadian accent. Uh, yeah, what do people hear? Or I mean, you just sound like you could be Seattle, but there's a little something, something there. That's probably my phone voice versus my real life voice. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Arkansas. I grew up in Hot Springs. Um, and then I've actually been in Seattle for just about five years now. Yeah. So, and, and do you like Seattle? Yeah, I love it. My wife and I um, really, when we first got here, talked about, you know, where do we want to be long term? And it's really felt like home. Um, and we've tried to slowly recruit more family out here. Oh, that's and I amazing. had my you, sister. <laughs> you have, you're the oldest of three kids, right? I read, I read all about your family. 
Yeah. Yep. And had my sister out here um, for about three years, but lost her to Denver. Oh, yeah. Um, People are leaving in droves to Denver. I mean, especially during the pandemic, it's just been like, peace out. We're heading to Denver. There's more sun there. Mm -hmm. So that's what got her. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up with with a big family or most of them um, still in Arkansas. And how has that been for you as far as it sounds like this is home, but is there a part of you that's like, I'll definitely like settle down eventually back home? Yeah, I think that part, having family close is is really amazing. And that's been, I think, the toughest part um, yeah. is figuring out how to make that work. We, we and most of our, for Elizabeth and I, most of our family is still in Arkansas. Um, and so that we get back a couple of times per year. And um, yeah, that yeah, can there's, be tough. Yeah, but we're not to a point where like we think we'll eventually move back to Arkansas. I think yeah. our families might move around some, so we'll we'll see. Yeah, you got to recruit them out here, definitely. And trying. So when you were little, aside from um, you know you sketching, what mm-hmm. else were you into, and did you have someone that you looked up to that's like, when I'm an adult, I want to be like that person? Yeah, um, there's. I think I was really lucky in that I had several people. Uh, growing up in my family, I did have a large family, and a lot of them were in Arkansas where I grew up. So they're yeah. all close. How many by. cousins do you have? Um, probably 12, 15. Oh, yeah. 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 My my husband has 27. That's First a lot. cousins. It's insanity. I have like six. Yeah. The, uh, and, and I would say my cousins were that inspiration, like culturally and socially. Uh, yeah. I was probably pretty much the youngest of most of my cousins. Um, so music interest and anything that could be perceived as cool that I was involved with as a kid, which was not that many things, mostly <laughs> came from them. Would you have described yourself as cool or were you more like quiet, nerdy, sporty? Like what were you into? Yeah, I I definitely I would not have described myself as cool. I think that I just dabbled in like lots of different things. Yeah. I was not the kind of person that I was like putting all my time in one thing. I yeah. enjoyed testing a lot of different things. Um, I played the drums and had kind of a garage band. Oh, that's cool. Soccer. What was the name of the band? That is, this question is asked that so many times and I can't remember for the past 10 years I can't remember yeah well you'll have to remember maybe your mom remembers I know yeah and so would your friends I guess maybe your bandmates or your friends your buddies from like I don't even know middle school be surprised to see that you're running a startup or like what would they have said if I just was like hey what do you think Ryan's up to these days yeah I think that uh it depends on how early you go um, I think, you know, friends in college by that point, uh, they, uh, I was kind of working on things that seemed entrepreneurial, maybe that you could see mm-hmm. maybe where it become a business, but definitely in school, I, I think they'd be surprised. Um, and I will say like, looking back, I, I certainly had kind of little, uh, projects or things that were very much kind of the early entrepreneurship, even though I never saw it that way. Yeah, yeah. But I think a lot of that was um, just kind of individual. Um, and I, I think that part of that is, you know, confidence in putting yourself out there with like, oh, an yeah, idea. just taking risks. I mean, it's, it's definitely yeah. a type. And when I ask that question, some people are like, oh yeah, I had my first company in like eighth grade. I started taking apart computers and selling off the piece. I mean, everybody's got these stories and other people yeah. may have a mentor or someone that exposed them to something in college. I just always think it's so fascinating to see also how you may have seen yourself versus how over time through confidence, you now see yourself. Um, so do most people in Arkansas, I mean, is it like we're here, people go to UW, people go to University of Arkansas? Yeah, I went to University of Arkansas and honestly, I didn't even consider any other school. I didn't apply to any other school. Interesting. And how did you decide, um, to study international business? It sounds like you studied international business, marketing and econ. Yeah. And that was part of the international business program as you kind of pick 
what specialties you want to focus on. Um, I got excited about, I would say like, I was very much more interested in more of the creative side, mm-hmm. um, before college. So I was thinking maybe more like architecture or I had done a lot of web design, um, and some programming in high school, but I, um, probably right before I started school had done a few of the kind of smaller projects that were entrepreneurial that kind of got me interested in, in business in general. Mm. Um, and that got me interested in marketing as I started kind of going through the courses, I realized that what I thought I liked about marketing was oftentimes economics. And so that's why the shift and why both, um, interesting. And then international business, uh, picked that just because I was interested in Japanese and took Japanese, uh, all through college. And that's actually how I met, um, one of my co-founders is oh, through that. Do you he still was speak a, Japanese? Uh, I speak a little bit of Japanese. I don't get to use it as socially yeah. today. Um, but yeah, I, that's really cool. And were you good at school? Or were you a good student or, um, distracted by other things like sometimes I find at least as a mom because I've got two high schoolers and a middle schooler and some of the stuff that you learn in high school and even college can be like well, I don't know where I'm going to use this down the road I'm just going to cut corners or other people I have one child that's like a major student she's thorough on everything yeah I I definitely was kind of the type of student where I was trying to get minimal effort for the most return. I, I was definitely I was. trying a little to shortcut. School. Yes, yeah. me too. That's, I guess, was my net net question is I'm like, you know, you can get to the same result, but some people are just like, I'm going to take the, the, whatever they, as the crow flies <laughs> from A to B. I was trying to get the nine, like a 90 in a, yeah. in a course. Like if I was getting a well, 98, good. that seemed like surplus. Yeah. Um, definitely got some B's. I vastly avoided C's. That was actually the only thing that would disappoint my mom. So it was like ingrained in me that like, as long as that's not showing up. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't get a C. That's so funny. So, um, so right out of school, are people recruiting out of Arkansas or how did you land into your first job with Sigma Supply? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a family owned business and, um, yeah, that's, um, Basically, I had kind of two paths. One yeah. was going into, you know, the Sigma, and I had been working with them for a couple of years on a part-time basis, uh, managing their uh, some e-commerce sales and things like that for them. And the alternative is I almost went and uh, taught English in Japan for a year. Um, is, is that a regret? Like, I, I have a little bit of that regret that I didn't do that, like, right out of college, cool international something, something no regret because I didn't get the job. Oh, <laughs> so right. it was, well, that, it was that got answered for you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, it was actually very funny because I went to Nashville to the, um, embassy there and did the interview. And a lot of it was actually in Japanese in many ways. And mm. they were kind of testing my Japanese proficiency and, uh, why did I want to do it and things like that. Um, but yeah, I always thought that would been, would have been a fun way to kind of yeah, get immersed cool. in so Sigma Supply, you said family business, your family's business? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep. um, is it the type of thing where it's like, uh, I grew up in a family business, so I understand that there is a little bit of that, like, hey, generation to generation, you're going to kind of take over this business. Was that kind of implied? Yeah. So it was, uh, as far as the family kind of involved in the business, my stepdad and and his siblings and his family and I'll say, you know, loved it and loved working, uh, with, you know, my family there for sure. And I think that in general, there's interest to kind of find your own way or kind of go your own way. And it was more of that than anything. Um, there's a lot of also strong personalities in my family. And I would say I'm probably like, you know, if you think of the spectrum, I'm way on the other end of that too. And so, and also being one of the youngest. Mm. Um, so I think that just pushed me towards like, yeah, that path of kind of, okay, what is, what does long-term look like for me? And interesting. When you talk about strong, um, personalities, I'm curious, are you 
you know that that saying of like you're like a duck like you're kind of floating on top but underneath you're like feet are going crazy trying to get from a to b like are, are you just kind of mellow on the outside but super intense on the inside do you get stressed out and anxious or you're just like no i'm actually pretty just what you see is what you get i'm a chill guy i think the definitely the duck analogy with the feet under the water for sure i don't know that um I don't know that it's to that extreme. Like, I think that there's some, mm, in general, like, I think through effort, like being able to, and kind of goes back to the quote we talked about early, right? There, that quote to me says, uh, you know, resilience and kind of being able to work to work through or work um, towards, you know, challenges or, or mm -hmm. ultimately goals. And so, I think not getting bogged down by the current situation and trying to think of it as, you know, something that you look at from different angles to solve. So I don't, I don't know if it's yeah, interesting. Um, That's a skill yeah. right there. You realize that I'm sure that is a, I don't know that we would call that a, um, what were we talking about during, I, I don't know that I would call that a superpower, but almost because mm -hmm. I do meet a lot of, I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs, that is one of the things that kind of bogs, they get bogged down or they get super stressed out or anxious. It's very common. Mm -hmm. And so that is, that's an amazing skill and an amazing leadership skill because it creates an environment where people around you are like, oh, good, Ryan's got it. <laughs> Even if you're faking it, like the vibe is, don't worry. Yeah. So um, if our team is listening, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, We've got this. Interesting. So you were working in the business and then um, in thinking like, I kind of want to create my own path. What were the possibilities? Because it sounds like you went into Gravity Ventures. Is that like you were a venture capitalist? Yeah, that was actually uh, part-time um, and, you know, not paid and they were very gracious to bring me in, <laughs> but yeah. it was a venture capital kind of angel investing group in Arkansas. And, um, there's a couple people involved in that Christian Anderson and, and Jeff Amerine that I connected with really early. And Jeff was actually also, um, a educator at university of Arkansas. Um, oh, super cool. And so they were, kind of an early angel investor in software companies in Arkansas or in the region. And frankly, there was just not a lot of that. And when I saw that um, and who they had invested in, which was a company and CEO that I had met one time and thought really highly of, um, I basically reached out and was like, hey, can I come work for you all for free? And there was no role available. They created that role. And I did due diligence on companies and uh, helped them out for a year. Very cool. Like analyst type of due diligence or just like deep research on the category or the people? Like uh, numbers, like were you number crunching? Oh, that's, that's a good skill. I don't have that skill. That's an amazing. And I feel like uh, a skill set you can take with you forever, right? It's going to be super relevant for you as an entrepreneur. Um, so what was the idea for Data Rank? And how did you tell me the origin story of that company? Yeah, the idea started out more as a hobby and not an idea for a business. Um, I had gotten into stock market investing um, and just personally. Um, and one of the kind of things that I learned growing up from my uncle was just investing in kind of things that you know or that you see being popular. And so we would kind of play a game where it's like, you know, in, in junior high or high school, what shoes are people wearing? What clothes are they wearing? What games are they playing? And you could buy those things or what if you invested in the company and then you could kind of see how that company performed over time. Yeah, I hope um, my son's listening because he loves to trade stocks. And this is messages I've told him, but I haven't like taught him because I don't really invest um, in the stock market, but it's a great call. It gives them a good intuition and gut. Yeah. And so at that, that, with that kind of foundation, um, started looking at social media data as kind of like a, an online way of seeing what stores are busy at the mall. Okay. So that was the original idea of data rank mm -hmm. and okay, cool. But how did you even know what you were doing? Like which social media channels were you using? Yeah. So Foursquare and Facebook check-in were really popular at that time. This is about oh, 2010. Yes. 
Okay. And that was a really good indicator of like, maybe that person is buying something. Um, and then there were other things that were popular at that time, which were kind of called lookbooks. Um, but basically these were websites where people were posting photos of what they're wearing that day and then tagging the brands. So there are all yeah. these things that are kind of purchase tangential that people are posting online and used that to get a read of like, okay, what brands are doing better or worse? And then invested in the companies basically before earnings reports and focused on apparel. Very cool. Well, that's huge right now. I mean, on Instagram, it's like, that's how people are buying in a big way. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of those things where it's kind of cyclical and circular as well, where like these ideas and things kind of come back around and around again, clearly with GameStop and Reddit and everything that was going on, there's even more ways now on social media to see, you know, how do, how do retail investors think about companies, but, but yeah, that was the idea is more as a hobby. Um, and then the way it became a company is actually, fortunately I was working with gravity ventures who I mentioned and was telling them what I was doing and sending them like, Hey, you should invest in this company, um, because of the data. And then they invested and the stock went up around earnings and they were like, this should be a company. Like, Hey boy, Uh, genius. Yeah. Yeah. This should be a company. Oh, very cool. So how did you find your co- So you were CEO and you needed a technical co-founder. That's right. Yep. My, um, I had done some very rudimentary like data collection on that and started working with my co-founder, uh, Kenny. Um, and we met taking Japanese together. He was a computer science major at um, Arkansas and he was working at Lockheed Martin at the time um, on very different missile defense software and very, very different space. Um, but yeah, we, so he is who I uh, teamed up with. And pretty soon after that, really, we were, had been talking about different ideas. Yeah. Interesting. And how big did you grow it? And were you looking to be acquired when Simply Measured acquired you? Or did they just come to you and say, hey, this is, this rounds out our business? Yeah. Um, we, let's see. So we started the company officially in 2011. Um, and iterated on the product. Some of our first customers were financial institutions. We tested various models, ended up the product was most compelling for consumer brands like Procter and Gamble or Coca-Cola. And they were using the, the purchase signals that we had pulled as a way to filter customer feedback for their brands and for competitors. Cause there's so much noise on social media. And so it became, uh, what became as a category, social listening. And that's when we started to take off from a sales perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. We raised some venture capital. We actually moved to the Bay area initially um, after that. And then we grew. So gravity, gravity was the investor. Were there others out of the Bay area? Yeah. The gravity was the first investor. um, And then we raised money from Y Combinator um, and then new road capital after that. And how did you do with fundraising? Was I mean that you're in this situation where maybe you have an advantage because you've been on the other side? Um, were you sitting in pitches as a as a on the venture side to be able to see like, hey, don't do this, do this. This is what works. I don't think so because really when I was working at Gravity, we were doing mostly angel investments, so it's early stage, and it really seems to be different at every stage. So it's kind of like constantly we were reaching milestones beyond what we thought was possible. And then we had pretty, I don't know that we were, when we first started creating a company because of the way it started, that we were, you know, so incredibly ambitious when we thought, when we started the business. And so as we kept hitting these milestones, we were kind of like, wow, this is great. And you were getting more inbound interest. Exactly. So we didn't great position to be in. Yeah. We, we learned a lot. Um, during the process for sure. And so simply measured, um, how did that whole relationship come to be? Yeah, I connected with Adam Schoenfeld who was the founder and CEO of Simply Measured uh, through LinkedIn actually. Yeah, Adam's and great. He is yeah, wonderful and it's been fun getting to know him and uh, him helping me figure out where to live when I moved to mm-hmm. Seattle. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's uh, so we connected right away and I, you know, really believed in 
um, Adam and Simply Measured team and the kind of combined business and what that could become. At the same time, um, we had a term sheet to do our Series A. And so it was a pretty, I would say, tough decision you know, between Kenny and I. And did we want to continue to build it independently ourselves, or did we want to um, team up with Simply Measured? And I think one thing that we had run into from an issue on, on the data rank side was really kind of building a repeatable sales motion, like software sales motion. I think we mm -hmm. were just about 2 million in annual revenue at that time. And a lot of the sales was definitely still like founder selling. Uh, we had a team and they were certainly, you know, doing I was well. going to say that I was like, I'm guessing you were selling a lot. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it was, you know, we had a really great we were, we were trying to recreate everything. Like what does software sales look like? And frankly, we started to, we made like a few mistakes in terms of how we structured the team and how we worked through it, which I think are in hindsight now, pretty common, like phase challenges. Um, but at the time felt very existential. Like we, and, and so basically with that, we were struggling to figure out like, okay, what's the right scalable sales mission? And we looked at Simply Measured as like, well, we have a great product that we really believe in. If we tap into their kind of sales and marketing experience, we can both learn a ton yeah. and we can bring this product to like a ton more people and, and really be the best product. And so that's what I think ultimately convinced us. And for me, in terms of the roles I took on at Simply Measured, which were much more go-to-market focused roles. It was so I could learn as much as I could and not have that be a problem um, right. in the future. Right. So you were the guy to take, take the product to market and get in front of customers. And then a few years in, uh, Simply Measured gets acquired. So that's also like a whole new experience. It's a double whammy. What was that experience like? And how do you compare it from a perspective of like, okay, here I am, Kenny and I have control of our culture that we're building. Now we're kind of blending into this whole new culture was simply measured in our whole third company. Um, yeah. How was that for you as far as like day to day? I think for one, it's, it's rare that I think, you know, going through these acquisitions and things as uh, tend to be rare. I think it's uncommon that you within, I don't know, two, two years, maybe it's 18, 18, 24 months or something like that, get to go through that process a second time. Right. And so the first time around, because it is, I had never gone through an acquisition or a merger before, everything was kind of learning and, and how do you support the team and how do you set the business up for success and, and going through it the second time and kind of being able to be in that seat again, um, I think I had just learned a lot and felt a lot more comfortable in terms of what do we need to do for it to be successful. Um, when we sold to Sprout Social, I had partnered with our, um, CEO at the time, who was yeah. Michael Wazaluka. Um, and then after the acquisition with Sprout, I moved into basically the general manager role for the simply measured and data rank business. And so that kind of put me in the same seat I was in when data rank was acquired by simply measured. And it's like, how do you support the team? How do you support all of these people who are going through a ton of change and make sure that they feel confident that like they have a place here, that they're an important part of the right. team. Um, and also again, again the calm Sprout. people leader, <laughs> by the way, that's probably, you know, kind of a, a gradual thing over time, I, I suspect, but, um, yeah, you got yeah. thrown into it. So you got some incredible experience there. Yeah. Trial by fire, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. So Kenny's still in the picture because then you went on to start Arrived. Tell me, tell me everything about like, pretend that we're not on this podcast and you're just calling your mom and saying, hey, I have this great idea. Like, how does that, you and Kenny are sitting there with an idea. You have the idea. How does it come to be? Yeah. The idea um, originally, so when when data or data rank was acquired by simply measured, uh, my wife and I had just bought our first house, probably like 10 months before. And we had to, then we were moving across the country and we had to decide 
what are we going to do with our house? Do we keep it and rent it out and manage it remotely? Or do we sell the home, even though we've only owned it for less than a year? Um, and we ended up selling the home so that we didn't have to worry about remote management more for peace of mind. But I think that stuck with me from that point. And when we got to Seattle, started thinking about what does property ownership look like for us? We don't know how long, like, is Seattle going to be right. where we live forever? Are we going to move again? Um, how much space do we need? What is our family going to look like over time? And so we rented when we got to Seattle and started investing in public real estate funds to kind of, okay, that's our real estate investment. That's a way to get into the market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we, I was kind of like thinking about that challenge in general, like flexibility with property ownership. Um, and it was in the back of my mind. And I think uh, one day actually uh, on a run around Green Lake um, here in Seattle, just kind of, I think a lot of those past experiences and things that I've been thinking about kind of came together on like, oh, this could be something really compelling. And I put together actually some slides uh, that I pitched to Kenny. So Kenny was the first person I told <laughs> about the idea. Um, and I'm very, it, that was probably like, it had been kind of a hangnail or something in the back of my mind for over a year, maybe two years by that point. Um, and I really try to like kill ideas. And this one just kind of lingered. Um, and when Kenny and I talked through it, it just, he had it resonated for him really quickly as well. He'd been thinking the same thing about wanting to invest in rental properties, had been thinking about, you know, the trade-offs of investing in one house and not having diversification. And yeah. does he want to invest close by so that he can go visit the property and make sure it's doing okay. And it was just all of these kind of ideas and experiences. And like, we're in a similar life stage and similar boat where it just kind of made sense. And that gave us confidence that like, okay, this is something to explore further. Um, yeah. And that was a long time before we actually even started the, the company. Uh, but at least we kind of came together on like, oh yeah, this is an interesting idea that we should talk And something about. fun as far as like, what a cool concept to solve. A lot of companies are like, we do cloud, blah, blah. I don't even know what you do, but like yours is very tangible. But for people who don't know Arrived, um, maybe you could tell us what it is and what's the business model. Yeah. So Arrived is really a platform for investing in shares of rental homes. So you can invest in rental property across the country. Uh, you get to pick which houses you invest in and you can invest in shares of that house, similar to investing in a stock. So whether that's $100 or ten dollars or $20,000 per house, ton of flexibility on investment amounts. Um, and then Arrived really takes care of all of the work under the hood. So there's no loans in your name for a mortgage. There's no dealing with property management or tenants. It's really a passive investment. And then we pay out rental income as dividends and uh, investors get the benefit of any property appreciation over time. Um, and that's really what Arrived is about, is just making it a lot easier to access investing in, in rental homes. It's very cool. And so the business model, as far as how Arrived makes money, um, how do you just, how would you explain that? Yeah, we make money in some ways similar to like a buyer's agent if you are uh, buying a property on your own a real estate agent. And basically we use brokers in all the markets that we're in and get a rebate back from them when we buy the house. Then we also have a sourcing fee, which is a, basically a transaction fee when people invest, that's just included in the initial share price. Um, and then ongoing, we have an asset management fee, basically 1% of the equity that gets invested per year. And, and that supports um, basically ongoing, you know, management of the the asset yeah it makes perfect sense to invest because it's the barrier to entry and the ease alone uh makes it so attractive and then you have variety because i've always been i've like you like hey we should be investing i'm reading about this market or hey it's so hot but i don't have time to deal and it's just served up by arrived and it makes me feel like i'm doing something and I got a little bit of action in there. So it's, it's super cool. How did you come up with the name arrived? <laughs> the, the name 
arrived. Uh, was what was, was it? What was it originally? <laughs> the original idea was home base. Um, actually, arrived was maybe the third name on our yeah. list. Uh, but we went through a list of hundreds of names, trying to figure out what domain names exist um, and whether they're trademarkable and all of these things. And eventually, we got um, got back to arrived and. Yeah. Uh, kind of cool that it was available. And how did you end up funding the business um, originally? We funded it. Yeah, we, we funded it just by uh, kind of self-funding initially. Um, and, you know, for co-founders, you know, that means like taking no salary and things like that. And we have a third co-founder in the business that uh, joined Alejandro um, as we started working on, on the company together. Um, and so it was really kind of just keeping costs very low. Um, frankly, that was really what it was focused on. Um, mm -hmm. and then as we started to get a little bit of traction, we did, you know, this, uh, and we had more confidence in the business. We raised, um, a small amount of capital and angel round, and then that kind of led into a seed and on from there, um, but that came a bit later. We spent yeah. over a year you know, with more just the, the founding team working on the idea and figuring out the model before we yeah. got to that point. Interesting. And so how much have you raised so far? And I am curious in the intro, I mentioned, you know, Spencer Raskoff, Mark Benioff, Jeff Bezos. Um, what was it like meeting those people for you? And how did you get introduced? Yeah, I think we've raised around $37 million so far. And, and part of that is uh, we also have a, a, a debt component that we've raised separately. And we have a $100 million credit facility for helping us facilitate buying the homes that we announced in December. Um, and then a great group of in, in investors that have joined and supported the business. Um, we got connected to Hadi Partovi early on and um, Hadi has been wonderful as kind of an informal advisor for us too, and yeah. giving us feedback. I mean, as granular as like product feedback from time to time, but, um, he, yeah, he's, he's interesting. He and I overlap a lot and I've actually never met him. And I know I just had Dan from Convoy on and same type of thing. You met Hadi and then got introduced to similar investors. And it's so nice when someone believes in you that way that they, you know, go to bat and open up their Rolodex to introduce you to people that can move the needle and, and give it some validity. You get those names and you're like, oh, good. We're off to the races here. Yeah, that was definitely fortunate. And, and he also introduced us to his brother, uh, Ali at Neo. And it's been fun working with their team um, as well. And yeah, so we've been, we've been really fortunate on the investor list. Some of it came through uh, almost the, the kind of college friends as well. Um, Alejandro, Kenny and I's uh, co-founder, um, he went to school with uh, the founders of, of Warby, Parker, Harry's, and Alberts, and they have a angel or seed investment fund um, that they invested with as well. And, and we really think of Arrived as this kind of, in some way, marriage between like Amazon and Zillow having a baby, and <laughs> yeah, it's fun to have that. them as kind of investing in the business and the consumer um, brand side is so important to us too. Of Like, how do we yeah. build a brand that people really love and want to be associated with and trust right. over the long term? And how many homes um, do you own so far? I think we're just under a hundred across about 15 cities. I think we're wow. very, we're talking uh, as a team in Slack right now, or what are we going to name the hundredth property? And I think we're yeah, two away. I can't wait. That's, yeah, a, that's like a side job for somebody just coming up with those names. I love <laughs> it. And so what is the typical, who is the typical investor in these homes? What's the demographic? Yeah, we see you a said, wide you said, range. I think you said $100 to like $20,000. Um, what's the average or median? I think the average is around $2,500. And each house has on average about $100. 50, 180 investors kind of investing together. And yeah. the, you know, people invest dollars really across that spectrum. Um, I think we have folks that, 
you know, maybe the a younger demographic that's looking to diversify from the stock market and kind of access their first property ownership, um, or also see it as kind of a replacement for home ownership for this phase of their life if they aren't ready to buy a house. Right. Um, for Alejandro, as we started uh, working together early on, I think one you know area of the market and kind of need that he was personally really passionate about was. Um, you know, accessing home ownership and, and Ale is from uh, Mexico and, and, you know, specifically for home ownership rates among minorities and, and um, Mexicans like himself, um, being able to kind of help facilitate that. And yeah. I think that's a really fun part of our uh, product is being able to kind of be a supplement and complement to, you know, giving people access to that home ownership. Right. Um, they do yeah. say like, and it may sound a little cheesy, but that like you can do good and do well. I feel like there's a definite component to arrive that's, that's doing good because I have uh, people in my life that, you know, they want, they've been wanting to buy a home forever and they don't have access and yet they still want to be in, they still want to be in the market. And so I'm always like, you know, screaming from the rooftops about arrived. I'm like, this is a way you can get in. Yeah. I think that's fun. And, and then on the, the other side is we do have an older demographic, people who maybe own a few properties on their own, but they want to diversify or invest in new markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and the product you know, really resonates for them as a way to access passive income. Yeah. Um, and when, when you started the business, did you have competitors? Because I read uh, Roofstock and Fundrise. How does your business compare to those businesses and where are you as far as, um, you know, time to get to market? Yeah, I think that there are a few uh, kind of legacy business on bringing real estate online um, and Fundrise and and Roofstock are some of those uh, and they've built incredible businesses as well. One thing that we've seen as a difference is really arrived is about getting access to investing in individual homes. So still having that flexibility of being Mm -hmm. able to pick and choose which properties you're investing in, um, but making it purely passive. And with companies like um, on the one side, Fundrise, it's more of a uh, real estate fund where you're kind of investing in anything that they've invested in the past, present, and future, you're kind of buying into um, and on the roofstock side, you're still buying whole homes in your name, taking out a mortgage and, uh, dealing with property managers. And so they haven't, they've kind of solved for investing in different locations maybe, but not really the passive aspect. And so and is, is anyone doing what arrived is doing? Yeah. I think that, um, in general, it's still early days. There's a few people, I think the, the product, um, really resonates with a lot of people. And so we've seen like, you know, quote unquote copycats already. Well, yeah, of course. Um, it's really funny because sometimes, you know, they copy our web pages and our copywriting and things like that. It's ridiculous. Um, so yeah. it's and frustrating. How many, cust- but... how many customers are signed up today? Like how yeah. many people are on the platform? We've had, I think about 43,000 people sign up. Um, yeah. So there's been a lot of interests, you know, in, in starting, um, to, to get access to investments. And then we've been constrained by how many investments we've been able to offer. So we've been trying right, to, to get more properties. Speed. Yeah. Get, Got to get the yeah. properties. And what are the business plans? Um, is it just like continue to buy more properties and at what point where you'd be like, ah, oh, this is where we were trying to get to because yeah. it's kind of endless. I mean, you kind of like, it's a bottomless pit, how many homes you can buy. Right. Yeah. Today it's really about expanding market footprints quickly. So we went from one to 15 markets over the last six months. We'll probably add 10 more cities, um, over the next two to three months or so. And then, uh, really within that it's bringing, making more homes available. So people who want to invest can, and also adding some new assets. The one we're launching next that we're really excited about is Airbnbs or short-term rentals. So if you want to, invest in a short-term rental and kind of have the, um, the landlord experience or be a part of that kind of economy. Uh, a lot of people have stayed in Airbnbs or short-term rentals, but much fewer are able to actually participate as oh, yeah, know, owner that's super and host. Cool. I'm going to look into that. I'm literally going to like hang up and look into that. That's, is that like available right now? 
I think that's something I think we should have our first properties there available in the next few months. Yeah, I'm excited. And so how would you describe kind of leading a team and a company and being in this like high growth mode during a pandemic, during COVID when you're kind of remote versus building teams kind of sitting right next to people arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder? Yeah, it can be tough. I think there's a lot of people have felt like there's, you know, trade-offs on the one hand, uh, we started the company really alongside that. And so it's kind of all we've ever known as we've built the company is this kind of remote first environment. So we've had to build ways of communicating that allow people to participate from anywhere. Um, and then we've started doing these quarterly or so kind of offsites twice a year, we're doing all team. And then twice a year, it'll be more departmental. Mm. And we try to use it as an opportunity to visit new cities and also visit some of our houses. Um, so we've got our next one coming up in, uh, I guess it's in May, first week of May. Very um, cool. And where will you guys go for that? It's between two uh, locations right now. I think we're considering either Nashville or Phoenix, also two cities yeah. that were you buying to do Nashville. In. That sounds super fun. Yeah. So how is it? So, so you said like, yeah, we don't really know any different, but um, what are your intentions around building a culture? Have you set kind of our company values? And I know you talked about resilience as far as a personal value, but how's that reflected in um how you've gone about building your teams out. Yeah, uh, we have gone through the values exercise, uh, kind of building those up and, and getting kind of teams talking about those and also influencing those because our team has grown a lot over the last six months. Yeah. Um, and how many people do you have now? I think we went from like six or seven to 24, 25 mm. um, in that period of time. And very much we are taking kind of a remote first culture and making sure that like every communication channel serves that. Um, and we tried to set best practices in terms of how do we communicate in Slack and how do we document you know, things so that people can catch up asynchronously and be fully informed. I think that's the biggest thing. So one of our values is communicate openly, but it's really about making sure that People have access to all the information they need so that they can be independent in terms of the actions that they're taking. We very much take a like a bias for action type of mentality. And so to do that, people have to know everything that's going on or they yeah. have to be able to have access to everything that's going on. And um, so that's been important. And now we're reaching a phase where, okay, now there's an issue of noise. When you're a smaller team, you can have access to all the information because there's so much, only so much going on. Now it's how do we make sure we're bubbling up the right information to the right people at the right time. And I think that's our yeah, current. It becomes a, like a little bit more around, not just transparency, but efficiency. Mm -hmm. As you continue to scale, that makes sense. So if someone's listening or someone knows somebody who might be looking for a job, um, what qualities kind of make somebody successful at Arrive? Yeah. And also I'll say we have our roles posted on our, our website, arrivedhomes.com. Quick plug. Um, yeah, you got yeah. to. <laughs> we, we have to also remember we're doing that offsite in May. So if you join in the next yeah. few weeks, you get to go to Nashville. That's so <laughs> That's funny. I'm taking my team next week to Cabo and I've had a few people that I'm like, if you want to join our company, you want to come to Cabo. I'm like, you've been using Now they're it. going to call you and they not know. me. No, no, no. <laughs> we're, we're, they already missed the boat. That's next oh, week. Okay, they can't cool. come. Maybe another time. But yeah, it's, it is true that like we've pulled all the stops right now. There's a serious war on talent. And um, so, yeah, so arrived homes if someone's looking for a job. And maybe this is a good time for you to say what types of people you're looking for. But also, you know, what qualities will those people have? in order to be successful at your company. Yeah, I think we're at a, a great moment in time where there's a lot that's working with the product and the customer experience, but there's still so much to be built and done. And so I think people who are excited by more of the creative phase um, and personally take a lot of ownership are self-directed, um, right. that I think we are an incredible environment for that because again, we 
very much have this uh, approach where we believe that like great ideas, great actions and outcomes can come from anyone on the team. We do yeah. not think that everything needs to be decided by the founders or top right. down. And so that can be very freeing for the, the team, especially if you're coming from an environment where you're working with a thousand colleagues and yes. decisions need lots of sign-offs and things like that. Right. Um, and it creates a very inclusive environment too, because you're like, I get to be freely myself. I get to be, uh, there's no hierarchy where I have to be like, come completely prepared. I can just spitball some ideas. And sometimes the best ideas come from people who are brand new or more junior. Yeah, that, that's absolutely the goal. And um, so that's the environment where, you know, that we work to create. And also, and part of that is for people who join that that's an environment they enjoy as well, because ultimately they're driving the long-term kind of future of the culture environment that we have too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that that works really well for this phase and we're a great, you know, company where we have, a lot, a lot of potential impact. We, we have, you know, great product and customer experience today, and then just a lot of building to do to fulfill that, that vision and that potential. Yeah. Interesting. And for you personally, whether you're making a decision about where to buy a home um, for arrived or who to hire, are you more kind of like, I need to have all the information and do all the research and data, or do you have a part of you that's like, I just got to trust my gut. Mm. And where do you balance um, those two things? Yeah, I think it's a mix of both. Um, and especially right now, and even before this phase, kind of coming through the like product discovery phase, a lot of it has to be kind of gut and intuition driven because ultimately you want to try to be right with your first test. You don't want to like, so you know, in some ways you kind of have to see if you can use your intuition or experience or outside advisors or, or like the qualitative inputs to help you, you know, make what you think is the best decision. Um, it's, it can slow you down to be like wrong too often yes. on what you're testing, I guess is like, we don't always have time to, to AB test and right. go collect data and things. sometimes you just got to let it rip and just go for it. So speaking of balance, you talked about like the way you make decisions a little more balanced, like how do you balance um, your time? Cause you're in the thick of it, you know, I'm sure you're somewhat of a workaholic, but what do you like to do when you're just like, aside from running, uh, what's like a perfect weekend for you? Yeah, I like to try to get outside. Um, Orange Theory is another, is kind of mm -hmm. the, the exercise that I do with my wife. Uh, we like to cut out um, during weekdays or weekends to do Orange Theory. I went uh, snowboarding two weeks ago and hurt like a, got a sore muscle under the rib. Um, so I haven't worked out in basically since then. But yeah, we're you're going... like, I don't even feel like myself. That's why I don't work out. I'm like, I'm going crazy here. Yeah, it's, it's pretty rough, uh, but I'm on the other side of that. And we're going, uh, I think we're going to go to Stevens this weekend yeah. and get you're, back you're into like the, the snow. perfect Seattle guy, the outdoorsy. That's perfect. Yeah. And so, um, my final question for you, and I just want to thank you again for being on the podcast, um, is what fuels you? Uh, yeah, so it's a great question. And I say this jokingly at times, but if you think about like a gear shifter and, you know, this, <laughs> what mode are you in? There is oftentimes, you know, the push for, wow, there's this, you know, incredible opportunity. It is the like drive of like, we want to build something great and be successful. The other end of that gear shift is like a fear of not wanting to fail or disappoint people around me. And I, I think I'm at my best when, um, I am just moving between those two things on an so ongoing you're in, basis. So you're not quite in neutral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I have to be highly motivated of like the potential and then also, you know, create high stakes um, because I think that that's, you know, a fun place to operate in. And, and um, so, yeah, that's moving between those things and, you know, the, the, the duck treading water, maybe that's the internal processing where yeah. even on a given day, you could shift between those two things. Um, yeah. Well, you're doing it, you're crushing it. And I love watching you and I wish you uh, continued success 
And thank you again for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for, for having me. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.